everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime suspense and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service, you're in complete control of your own podcast, you can run it from your own website, and it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone. So you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi, everyone. Today, my guest is a Miami native who spent 27 years working as a South Florida police officer and detective. For a decade, he worked undercover investigating large-scale cocaine trafficking and high-volume money laundering cases. He uh, worked with multiple police and federal agencies and is a certified DEA instructor. He also has a master's degree in investigative criminal psychology. He's worked and consulted on multiple serial offender homicide cases. And since uh, his retirement from law enforcement, he's worked as a technical advisor in film and television. He is also a movie producer and an adjunct professor at multiple universities within the U.S., and he is the author of the Cade Taylor uh, series of books, which I'm told is a completely new genre in the detective fiction realm, Dark Tropics. We're going to have to talk about that. Um, It's my pleasure to introduce Michael Hearns. Michael, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. No, Debbie, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Get a chance to meet you. Excellent. Well, it's great to meet you. And um, so tell me about this Michael Cade. Uh, He sounds like an interesting character. He seems to to be in a kind of a class all of his own with his weird agency or whatever he's with. And uh, tell tell me about the fiction that you write in this series about him. Yes, the fiction I write is um, based on a fictional character named Kay Taylor. He's a detective in Miami. He's assigned to device intelligence and narcotic unit, which is kind of a um, covert undercover operation. And the first book I wrote was called Trust No One. That came out in 2020. And then that was quickly followed up by Grasp and Smoke, a Kay Taylor novel uh, in 2021. And then last year we had one more move 
And basically these books chronicle uh, the exploits of Cade Taylor as he tries to maneuver through some very um, sticky and unexpected circumstances involved in working in narcotics and money laundering and dealing with the Cali cartel and Medellin cartel. Also dealing with just the nefarious subjects and people and things in Miami, which we oftentimes refer to as a sunny place for shady people. So, you know, Kay Taylor has learned to um, thrive and navigate in that in that system. And uh, the books chronicle uh, Kay Taylor as he uh, works on these different cases. Mm-hmm. Was there something in particular that inspired you to write about this particular protagonist? Well, one of the things that came to me was um, many people had asked me uh, about writing a book myself. And I think they actually wanted me to do a tell-all. And I just didn't feel comfortable with that. So um, based on my work experience and my knowledge of that world, I was able to create this character, Kay Taylor. And what I've tried to do with these books is bring um, a high level of authenticity and a high level of realism uh, to the series in the three books that have been written so far, where we see a lot of things that the average reader and or even person in, in the visual arts, TV or movie doesn't see or know. Um, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different um, aspect of law enforcement that many people don't understand or are exposed to. So uh, through the telling of these tales, I'm able to um, give the readers, uh, hopefully a very good compelling story characters that resonate with them as well, but also bring them into the nuances of what their world is like. Mm-hmm. I assume that a lot of your background feeds into this fiction. Would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. There are a few people who know me who will call me on the phone or send me a message or something and they'll say, Hey, I'm, I'm reading and trust no one, or I'm reading one more move or, or, or grasp and smoke. And they'll say, I'm on page 210. And I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so I say, uh, you got to tell me what's going on. And then they'll say, oh, uh, you just did this and you just did that. And I'll say, that's just not me. It's it's Kay Taylor. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know it's you. But the reality is it is Kay Taylor. It is a fictional character. And um, the characters are fictional, but everything going on around them is authentic. When I write these books, I actually do a lot of research. There's a lot of check-in title charts, moon phases. When they order something from a restaurant, it actually comes from the actual menu of the restaurant, the streets they drive on, the places they go are true, actual places. So it's almost as if while you were living your life, you're getting a very like, spy optic view of these individuals, most notably Kay Taylor, as they were going through their exploits all the while amongst you. You weren't just aware of it. Hmm. You know, um, I wanted to ask you about research because I was going to say you spent 27 years working in this field, but you need to do additional research for to, to write these books, correct? Yeah, I mean, your research is never going to hurt you. Um, I, I feel, uh, from some of the work I've done in post-retirement, I feel like the audience is a lot more sophisticated than we give them credit for sometimes as authors. 
they really do understand weaponry. They understand um, a lot about the geography. Uh, Miami, uh, these books are set in Miami, but even though you may not live in Miami, it's still a city that most people have e either visited or, you know, passed through. And many people have a clear understanding of tactics, although they're not tactical, maybe. So these books kind of bring in a, um, an aspect of tactics and technology and the authenticity uh, with them. We, in this book, I don't had them drive down Elm Street and make a right on Maple Street and make a left on Bird Street. The streets they were on, the, the doors they walk through, the doors they walk out of are real doors. Uh, they're real places. Um, so I think for many people who live in New York City or live in Miami, live in Los Angeles, when they see television shows filmed in their cities, they sometimes put their palms to their forehead and close their eyes and wince in pain because they recognize that they were just in the Bronx and now they're in Brooklyn or whatever the case may be. And I try to be very geographically accurate and very chronologically accurate with the books. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. When I think of South Florida, I think of a few things related to crime and its depiction on television. I think of Dexter. I think of um, Miami Vice. And I think of Carl Hyacin. <laughs> Where do you I, fit I, in I, this grand scheme of South Florida crime? South Florida is a is a is my hometown. Yeah, I was born and raised there, and it's amazing how we all have rubbed elbows with each other. I've had conversations with Carl Hyacin. I've been on the set of Miami Vice uh, in the early days. Um, I worked for the actual real Miami Vice. And I remember when Dexter first came out, when Jeffrey first wrote it. And, you know, we all kind of bounce around each other a little bit. And it, it truthfully is um, an entity unto itself. It's the only part of, of America or North America that's subtropical. And it's a it's the end of the earth, basically. You know, people come down and they don't go back up again. They've already seen what's behind them. They're not going to go back up. I'm, I'm, I lived in Richmond. I lived in Raleigh. I lived in Roanoke. I'm not going back. I'm staying here. And they come down and it's very uh, transactional. And people and things there learn to groove and move on a different beat. And we are a peninsula. We're surrounded by water. And there's a lots of things that come in on the air and come in on the water. And in our books, and I should say on our books and in my books, uh, you know, Kate Taylor, what I'm trying to do is bring you, the reader, a view of law enforcement in Miami that um, it may not be as stylized as Miami Vice because Miami Vice was a highly stylized TV show. But it's um, got some definitely true components if you were drawn to those shows, uh, CSI Miami, Miami Vice, Dexter, then you'll be drawn to these books as well. They, they, they run, and then what we said earlier in the conversation, dark, dark tropics. Um, even the uh, cover of Grasp and Smoke is is was behind me, but it's like dark palm palm fronds, you know. So it's 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 really a different genre. I was going to say, you have those uh, books nicely arranged behind you there on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. nice covers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sure thing. Um, so are you working on your next book in the series? 
or are you working on something else? Oh, okay. No, I'm working on on the next book in the series. What originally happened was the first book that we, I wrote was Trust No One. And I actually kind of thought it'd be a one and done. And I started to write a book about uh, an individual in Los Angeles. I'd spent some time in Southern California and had a good familiarity with it. And then I started getting lots of mail, lots of email, lots of messages, lots of um, uh, social media postings about Kay Taylor. And in a classic case to give people what they want, I wrote Grasp and Smoke, a Kay Taylor novel, followed up by One More Move, a Kay Taylor novel. And I'm writing currently uh, on the fourth version of Kay Taylor now. And the books are all standalone. It helps if you read them in sequential order because Cade and these scenarios are evolving, but there are no spoilers in these books. If you read one out of order, you won't um, be completely thrown off your trajectory. And most people who read them seem to like them. Uh, res Cade resonates with them. Cade is not a perfect character. He has flaws. Um, he struggles with um, some demons of his own. He drinks a little more than he should. He's uh, on the back end of a pretty ugly divorce, which is kind of uh, eviscerating him a little bit. He's kind of emotionally numb, but he stays in the fight. You know, he has to continue on with his job and he doesn't have the opportunity, especially being a vice narcotic detective, it doesn't wait for him at all. So he he's he's in the mix from start to finish. Mm, interesting. Um what kind of direction do you see this series of books going? Uh, do you see like a certain number that you want to write, an end point that you want to reach with the character? You know, I don't really see a finality and I don't really see a finite number. I think uh, there's still a lot of life for Kay Taylor. And as each book comes out, the, the legion of Kay Taylor devotees grows. Um, there's quite a few people who have um, endeared themselves to him and they're asking for more. So um, the stories, as long as I can tell a compelling story, I mean, I think you have to have that great marriage between a character that readers enjoy and root for and also a compelling story. It's really not good to have, um, you know, a, a great performer with a terrible orchestra or vice versa. So I think we have to find, as long as the stories are compelling, um, I think Cade has already been a pretty established character. I think he's going to be able to hold his own. Hmm. And uh, how did you get into providing technical advice to filmmakers? Oh, um, that's like a lot of things in life. You're not really seeing that train coming and all of a sudden you step on it and you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll ride this one. I, I was asked um, because of my background to help out with a movie, and it's a kind of a in that environment. You really in film and TV, you truthfully need to be um, well versed in a few things, and some of the things you need to be versed in is obviously know your craft, and the second thing also is you need to understand set protocol, and you also need to be reliable and dependable. Um, TV and movies are very expensive to make and they don't have time to wait for anybody who's late or not on time or not in their right frame of mind. So 
uh, my reputation preceded myself and I went to, uh, I did one movie and then that turned into a TV show and then a TV show and then a movie and, and uh, the work gets out. And if, as long as you're agreeable and you work well with people and you um, understand the framework you're supposed to be in, uh, it, it um, kind of worked out for me in that respect. Very cool. The very collaborative business, that part. <laughs> Yeah, as a technical advisor, you're mostly working with the principal actors, the director, the showrunner, and maybe the stunt coordinator. And you you were there to bring authenticity and you're there to bring realism to their plot line or to their storyline or at least to the actors' movements, what they say, how they say it, how they stand, what they physically do. But you have to recognize also it's entertainment. So sometimes you'll be asked to coordinate or collaborate on something that you normally wouldn't do in real life but the director might pull you aside and say i i I know you don't do it like this but i need a jeopardy moment so you know make this happen so you find that hybrid you know between entertainment and authenticity the main thing is once again i think the audiences are very sophisticated and they're really not going to stand or sit down for something that doesn't come across as being real Exactly. Yeah. There's only so far you can push it. I mean, I fully appreciate that uh, coming from a legal background, I often cringe slightly when I see lawyers depicted in certain ways, but then I think, okay, they need this here for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, there's a formula. There's a a formula uh, and you you kind of, you know, in a 60 minute drama it could be a courtroom drama or it could be a police procedural you have to establish a dilemma you have to establish um a, a, you know a, a bad guy or a bad person in that drama and then you have to have a resolve and you know and you have to do it with commercials in 48 minutes so um the directors and the showrunners they understand that formula and uh real life does not work that way we know that for a fact you being an, uh, an attorney uh, trials and courtroom proceedings can go on for months, if not even years. Um, yeah. But in real life and television, it's usually wrapped up in about 45 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. It gets wrapped up much faster than in life and in yeah. much different ways sometimes. Um, let's see. You've also produced movies. How did you get into that? Uh, same thing. As a technical advisor, you're. Um, you're working with directors, you're working with producers. They're talking to you about other projects they may have in the wings that they're looking to do. In in my case, um, I was at the American Film Market in Santa Monica, um, meeting with different people who are in the industry and met some individuals that were trying to put out a very good film. Um, the movie's called The Cuban. It's about a long, short story. It is a tale of music and love and how it helps people with dementia. And we were able to get a great stellar cast with um, Lou Gossett Jr., Lauren Holly, uh, Aja Goja, and a few others. And um, it did quite well in Sundance and Whitaker. Um, it got released during COVID, so a lot of people saw it. But a lot of people didn't see it, but it did quite well. It has a great uh, musical score by Hilario Duran. And the film is not in my normal wheelhouse, but I really uh, enjoyed and believed in the project, so it worked out really well. That's fantastic. Um, what 
writers most inspire you and what uh, screenwriters do you particularly like? You know, I don't really have any true favorites uh, in the genre. You know, there are demigods and there are some really stalwart individuals out there like Michael Connolly and Lee Child and uh, a few others. I don't actually get the opportunity to read as much as I would like to, uh, especially when I'm writing my own books, because it's not that it throws me off. It's just that I get so engrossed in what I'm doing on the writing side that actually my pleasurable reading kind of slips off to the side a little bit. Um, as far as screenwriters, you know, um, I'm, I'm more of an old school kind of guy, uh, Michael Friedkin. I think there's some really good work with like to live and die in LA in the 1980s and things like that. Um, but I, I really don't have any person or per people that I follow. Um, but I do know what I like and when I like it, I latch onto it. And I hope that, um, people who read the Kate Taylor series of books adopt or have the same mind frame. Cool. Uh, what advice would you give to anyone interested in writing for a living? Persevere. Stay with it. Don't allow anybody or anything to detract you from what you want to do. Allow the creativity to come out of you. Um, don't measure yourself against other people's successes. There are lots and lots of people who are way infinitely more successful than I am. But whether they sell, you know, 20,000 books a day and I sell two a week, those two readers are hopefully enjoying my book. Um, I think there's room at the table for everybody. But the, the advice I would give is persevere and don't let anybody or anything throw you off your trajectory, you know. And... When you watch a movie, at, at the end of the movie, you'll see hundreds, thousands of names come up that are associated with the uh, completion of the movie. But when you write a book, it's your name that's on the spine of the book. And you put yourself out there for uh, criticism. You put yourself out there for acceptance. You put yourself out there for um, review. So, you know, have a be prepared and take a couple of hits, but also be prepared to take a couple of bows. You know? That's right. Be prepared for whatever comes. <laughs> yeah. And there's people out there who, um, who are professional snipers. There's people out there who just want to um, bring you down or bring your project down or bring your book down or bring your movie down or bring your recital down or, there's always, you know, you could go to a kindergarten ballet recital and there'll be somebody in the back going, ah, that's not how Swan Lake's played. You know, <laughs> I mean, you, you, those personalities exist. And then you have people who will say to you, hey, I read your book and on page 211, there's a typo. And you go, okay. You know, it, typos occur in almost every book out there. Right, and then you recognize you recognize it's not that they're being overly critical; it's that they're they're actually looking for a, uh, an avenue to talk to you. They're they're telling you they read your book and they want to have a reason to talk to you. So when you look at an event, you go, "Oh, hey, man, two eleven, okay, yeah, tell me what happened, really? Oh, yeah, well, were you enjoying it up to that point? And hope it didn't throw you off. And they, they once they engage in conversation with you, they seem to 
um, satisfy what they're looking to do, which is basically just have a moment of your time. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah, acknowledgement. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Do you have any advice for screenwriters or anybody who wants to get into film? <laughs> the door's open. Uh, we are in a huge content bubble. People, entities, corporations, things that you would never believe have their own channels, have channels now. And everybody's looking for the, the next big content. Um, I've had the pleasure of sitting down with some of the biggest people in the industry on certain things. And I think they would say the same thing. You know, even though they're titans in the industry, they had to start somewhere. Um, but right now we are in a content bubble and, you know, be authentic. I think that's, the, that's, that's like, you know, the biggest thing is be authentic. And that's how it is with the Kate Taylor books. The Kate Taylor books are very authentic to life. They're very authentic to, to law enforcement. And I've tried to bring action scenes in these books that you don't see in books and or television or movies. And they're plausible. You know, in life, we have three things. It could be your possible, plausible, or probable. Is it possible a meteor's going to hit the earth? Yeah, it's possible. It's not going to happen, but it's possible. I mean, it's not today. Is it uh, probable? Well, there's probability. And then there's the plausibility. So, you know, work within those three things and you should be okay. Don't let anyone, again, don't let anyone throw you off. And recognize that when doors close, it, there's another door that's going to open. You just, you just have to be persistent. Absolutely. Persistence is important. Diligence. Uh, tenacity. Tenacity. And, uh, commitment. And <laughs> commitment, yeah. You know, it, I will tell my wife sometimes, um, I'm going to, I have to write today. And she will say to me, why are you telling me that? And I say to her, because if I make that verbal declaration, then I got to stick to it. I can't, I can't slack off. I can't let it go. So, you know, part of the uh, dedication and commitment is recognize that you have to do these things. You know, I, I get emails, hey, when's the next book coming out? When's the next thing coming out? And um, there, there may not be a lot of people, but there are a few people there who are waiting for the next Kate Taylor. And I owe it to them and I owe it to myself to put it out there. The fact that they're there is what's important. And it feels great, yeah. doesn't it? No, it feels good there. because you, you know they're, these are pages and you're there it's ink on paper and it's coming to life in people's minds as they read and as you know being an author yourself you're writing sometimes and you're literally um orchestrating dialogue between four different people you're setting stage you're setting scene and it's not easy it's not easy um to keep all those voices separate in alignment uh all in the same you know forward moving aspect of it and also as you move through your books and you're now into your 200th page your 300th page you have to make sure that there's continuity um there, there's a lot of balls to juggle in the air and um until you do it you don't understand it but don't let what I just said dismay or dissuade you. Once again, we go back to perseverance. Just do it. Absolutely. 
Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? Um, other than my appreciation to spend some time with you, um, just I um, think I'd just like to point out once again that the Kay Taylor series of books are very authentic. They're very um, genuine, and they also bring a lot of action and a lot of um, aspects that people don't normally see. And most people who read the books come away uh, enjoying the stories, enjoying the characters, but also enjoying the ride. And the books are written in the first person. So oftentimes people feel like they're right with Cade while he's going through uh, these trials and tribulations out there. Yeah, first person is nice. I like that point of view myself. <laughs> yeah, there's a, an article came out in Esquire last year and it was basically said, uh, you know, we, we've been reading incorrectly for decades that the first person narrative is so much more enjoyable. And I think a lot of people are galvanizing themselves towards it because they feel like they're with him. You know, they feel like they're in a car with him. They feel like they're, you know, in the, in the middle of the gun battle with him. Um, they're not being told, you know, by a narrative what's happening. It's Katie that's talking to them in the book. Mm -hmm. Identification and all that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, well, thank you again so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, believe me. Um, and I want to thank all of you listeners and anybody watching on YouTube. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review. Um, for access to bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and free copies of the Crime Cafe box set and anthology, become a Patreon supporter today. I'm also offering perks to um, subscribers on my Substack publication, Paperback Writer. Uh, so check that out. Um, thank you again. And uh, we'll see you next time when I'll be interviewing Willa Richards. Until then, take care and happy reading.